Well, good morning once again. And it's a privilege to be back here ministering to you folks at here at Westmount. Last week when we met, we were looking at Ephesians chapter 5, and we looked at verses 19 and 20 in particular. And we also looked at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, where the author is reminding us to consider how to stir, to stimulate, to spur, to provoke one another onto love and to good works. And one of the ways in which this provoking is done or ought to be done is seen and is highlighted in verse 25 of Hebrews chapter 10. And that is where we will be perching or focusing or zooming in on this morning. Verse 25 reads, Not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And as I mentioned I've been going through this one another series, and what I've given you last week and what you'll get today is not even just a drop of the bucket of the series that I went through. I think it took me a month and a half. I guess I'm a bit lengthy when it comes to <laughs> to certain topics or just diving into the Word But um, I do trust that these few weeks have been and will be a blessing and an encouragement to each and every one of us as we dive into the Word of God together. Before I go any further, though, let us commit this time before our God and our Savior. Father, we, we do thank you and we praise you for your grace and your goodness and your love, your mercy, your generosity, your compassion towards us. And Lord, we thank you for the privilege, the freedom we have to to gather in this fashion, Lord. And as we look into this verse, this passage of scripture, that you command not just the hearers, the recipients of this letter, Lord, but to us as as believers, that we should not forsake this great privilege and gift that you have given us, Lord, through the sacrifice, through the shedding of your blood, God, this is why we have this freedom, Lord. May we come to that realization. May we love and appreciate the brothers and sisters in Christ more and more. May we seek with every fiber of our beings, Lord, to stimulate each other to love, to good works, and to being in unity and in fellowship with one another. God, let your spirit Speak through me, speak to me as well, Lord. Convict the hearts of your people. And may we be encouraged, challenged, and blessed through the preaching of your word, for Christ's sake. Amen. The importance of the church can and is often scarcely overstated. It is that which God, and this is stating the obvious, but it's that which God purchased with his own blood through his own Son, our Savior Jesus Christ. We're reminded of this in multiple scriptures, but also in Acts 20, 
verse 28. It is that which Christ loves. It is that which Christ nourishes. It is that which Christ cherishes, according to Ephesians 5, verse 25 and 29. And which he shall present to himself blameless in all her glory one bright and awesome day. Building his church continues to be Christ's principal work in the world today. Through his giving of the Holy Spirit, as we see in Ephesians 4.12. Thus, the exercise of those gifts by the believers aligns us with what Christ is doing today. So, that still should be our priority. The building of the church of Jesus Christ. But what is the church? And many of you may know, many of you may not But what is the church? The English word for church is derived from the Greek word, which I won't bore you with, which means belonging to the Lord. And only two uses of that word is found in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 11.20, referring to the Lord's table. And Revelation 1 verse 10, referring to the Lord's day. The word came to be used to refer to other things such as a place or people or denomination or country related to a group that belongs to the Lord. So that's the English version of the word for church. The Hebrew word means assembly and is usually translated in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament scripture. And it's Um, It's translated for the Greek word, which means church, or ecclesia, which we've heard multiple times, I'm sure. It denotes not necessarily a reference to a religious gathering or a religious assembly, but it can be a congregation of just human beings. And it's often referred to the congregation of Israel when they congregate or convene together. The Greek word which is Ecclesia, which I mentioned earlier, is also assembly and is used in a political and not necessarily a religious sense. It did not refer to people but to meeting. In other words, when the people were not assembled formally, they were not referred to as an Ecclesia. The word is used in the same secular Greek way two times in the New Testament, And when the Greek word is used in the New Testament, it takes a much richer and fuller aspect to the secular meaning. For example, the people themselves, whether they assembled or not, were the ecclesia. And you will hear that I will get into that further as we get into the sermon. And what I'm explaining to you will make a little bit more sense and have a bit more clarity as we go into this sermon. So that, in a nutshell, is an overarching idea of how the term church is used from the English, Hebrew, and Greek standpoint. Now, in the New Testament, in Acts 19, verses 39 and 41, 
we have here a group that was composed of heathen people whose reason for assembling was to exercise political privileges. The citizens of this free city had the right to meet in a legislative assembly, which they did for three months, or three times a month rather, but this occasion was, of course, an illegal assembly on which the Romans did not take too kindly. Also, we find in Acts chapter 7, verse 38, here we have a group of Israelites assembled to receive God's law through Moses. And in Ephesians 1, and 23, the assembly here that is referred to by Paul is the church which is the body of Jesus Christ. The character of this group is 100% regenerated people. And the reason for its existence is the baptizing ministry of the Holy Spirit of God, which places those who are in Christ into the body of Christ, as we're told in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. And this church is universal, or the other term you'll hear is the invisible church. And this includes every believer in every place on earth or even those who are in heaven. Strictly speaking, the church is not visible. Strictly speaking, for many members are quite, but many members are quite visible in the church. We have in Romans 16, verse 5, 1 Corinthians 16, 19, Colossians 1, or 4, 15, and Philemon 2, a group of people very much localized. And I want us to hear that. So Romans 16, 5, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 19, Colossians 4, 15, and Philemon 2 a group of people that were localized churches in house churches. The nature of the people, at least in the New Testament times, would have been those who have professed to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And in some instances, those who only profess but who did not only profess but did possess salvation would have been associated with a local assembly. What were the focal points of these local churches? What was the fo- what was the point? One was geographical. Another was a profession of faith in Christ Jesus. So there's a location that is attached to the assembly. And there's a profession that comes with that attachment to a a local assembly. Another was the practice of baptism and the Lord's Supper. And another was the exercises of group responsibilities such as teaching and administering or ministering to each other using our various spiritual gifts. Customarily, the concept of the church has focused on the universal and the local body. And sometimes 
erroneously the categories are stated as invisible or visible. But even the universal church and the local church do not seem to cover all the the facts of this concept. And we will look at that. As we have seen, sometimes local stands for church or house churches. And this is a local unit that is pictured in the New Testament. What is the universal church? And I've mentioned that. The universal church is those who have been placed into the body of Jesus Christ. So that is the invisible church, but there is also the visible church. This is us as we gather here today and other local assemblies across, not just Peterborough, but across the globe. Why do we assemble together? What is the importance of us meeting like this? Well, we meet because we're worshiping. We're a worshiping church. That is why we assemble. Our Lord revealed two basic truths about the church and two basic truths about worship. He declared that it must be what? According to John, in spirit and in truth. Worship can and should take place, of course we know, anywhere and everywhere, since the Spirit of God isn't confined to Westmount Bible Chapel or 573 Albion Road. It can take place. However, worship comes from man's spirit, Hebrews 4.12. So this isn't a surface ritual. It's not something that we're doing to put on a show, to, to show the world that I am so religious or so spiritual. It is something that is done in truth, as John tells us, and in his spirit. It is something that is sincere. And that is one of the reasons why we convene. That is one of the reasons why we congregate to worship. True worship is a person-to-person experience. Honoring with our spirit God who has always revealed himself to us through his scriptures and through his son, Jesus Christ. In truth means that a true worshiper must be genuine. It's not pretense. And Isaiah 1, 10 to 17, Malachi 1, 7 to 14, Matthew 15, 8 to 9. What those verses all have in common is the fact that God hates insincere worship. Fake worship is that which is not in accord with the revealed word of God. Therefore, to worship in truth necessitates a growing knowledge of what? God's word. So worshiping in truth and in spirit necessitates a growing for the word of God or in the word of God, which by default will also increase our appreciation to that word and our appreciation to God. So we congregate to worship. We congregate for the sake of the word of God. 
We come to church not to just sing and feel like we're floating on cloud nine and for the announcements and, and potlucks and, and all of those things. We come for the main purpose and the main course, and that is the Word of God. Any church that doesn't put this book as the central focus of their worship should not be called a church. It shouldn't be called a church. And any church that spends very little time in the Word of God and and big amount of chunks of time doing everything else needs to reevaluate their purpose. Folks, we can dismiss every single thing that we do when we congregate. We can forego the singing. No, no offense, Jeremy. We can, we can forego the announcements. We can forego the, the potluck. But if prayer and the preaching of the word is not included, something is terribly wrong with that congregation. We convene for the preaching of the word of God from the beginning of the church. The church put prime importance on doctrine. Acts 2.42 This was used both to build up believers and to edify and to evangelize. Reaching on believers outside of the church. All the epistles demonstrate the kind of teaching that must have been customary to the local assembly. And that includes the doctrines of Scripture. So we meet to worship, worship God. We meet because of the Word of God and we meet to pray. Prayer was practiced both individually and corporately. And of course, as we saw last week, we sing as well. We sing according to Hebrew or Ephesians sorry, 5, 19 and 20, not to show that we have a very melodious voice, or not to, for the sake of which songs will make me feel like I'm floating on cloud nine, but for the purpose of edifying one another. That is why we sing. And there's also the aspect of giving. Why we meet. The New Testament says more about giving than about any other single aspect of church life. Giving to others serves as a clear proof of one's love for God. James 2, 15, 17. And this giving should stem from a life that has been first given to him. To who? To Jesus Christ. And this giving should be voluntarily. And this shouldn't be forced. And it doesn't necessarily mean possession, folks. It doesn't mean I have a bunch of money and I'm going to contribute to the church. Giving includes our time and our talent. So in other words, what gifts God has given me to use for the glorifying of himself and the edification of the believers? We ought to be given those. And then, of course, there's the aspect of fellowship. And we see in Acts 2.42 where the early church continued in fellowship. And this means they had a close relationship with each other. 
And this closeness consisted of what? Their communion and their union in doctrinal allegiances. Their willingness to share material things. And the experience of the Lord's Supper and in prayer. And we must remember as we, we pause for a second here, that the early church, how often did they meet? According to Acts chapter 2, they met what? Daily. And man alive, to come one day a week. It's tough, eh? It's hard to get up out of bed when you want to pull those blankets and wrap yourselves up. It's challenging. How did we go from having that eagerness to want to meet on a daily basis to hardly even wanting to meet for a couple hours? And even when we do come, we constantly are looking at the clock for whatever reasons. That's why we meet. Fellowship, giving, prayer, the word of God, worship, So in other words, all the aspects of worship constitute fellowship. It is not a separate entity by itself. It is a practice of corporate worship based on an illustration in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians chapter 2. So now that we've looked at what can be defined as introductory material. Let us look then at Hebrews 10.25, assembling ourselves together. Verse 25 of Hebrews chapter 10, of course, is attached, as I mentioned earlier, to the command that is given in verse 24. So the previous verse, let us spur, let us provoke, let us stimulate one another to love and to good works. And one of this provoking or one of this stimulation is for us to be encouraging each other, let us go into the house of the Lord. Isn't that what David said? I was glad. Are we actually glad to be in God's house? Are we actually glad to be around God's people? We have to provoke one another, to love and good works. So there is a central location that is attached to assembling. Not to not neglect the assembling of the ecclesia or the assembly, there must be a central local point or focal point. There has to be a, a, a location that is attached to assembling. And why am I saying this? You'll hear further on. But there has to be the universal church. Where would the universal convene to worship, to give, to pray, to hear the word of God, and to minister to each other? Where would the the invisible church? It would be very odd if we see our brothers and sisters who are now in glory waiting for that day when we reunite, worshiping with us in some obscure manner. 
There is a central location that is attached to assembling. The early church, let's look at the early church. Before Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, he told his disciples to what? In Acts 1-4, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit is sent. And when we skip over to Acts chapter 2, we see these disciples doing what? Just doing, doing life as usual and just going on saying, you know what, the church is not important or the church isn't a building so I don't need to stay in Jerusalem. No, we see them assembling together in the upper room. And shortly after this assembling, the church was born. The early church were told to meet, we're told, were met, they met daily Assembling in one place for the teaching, for the fellowship, for the breaking of bread. And house churches were established to host numerous assemblies. And later we see a central location that was attached, or was established rather in the church at Antioch. So we see a a focal point. We see that there's a location that was attached to the early church assembling. Also, let us look at Paul's missionary efforts. The sending church for Paul and Barnabas was the church at Antioch. Paul went on missionary journeys, making disciples and establishing local churches and leaders to build up these new converts and the local body, and of course, by default, adding to the universal or the invisible church. A physical, not spiritual assembly. Let me address this statement that I'm sure you've heard countless times over the past 16 plus months. The church is not a building. Have we heard that since this whole ordeal started? The church is not a building. And although, and this is why I gave, started off with those definitions and description of the church as it's seen in English, Hebrew, and Greek. And though this is true in some sense, the church requires a building. Our, our central location to be visible in the city. It does require, or in the community, or in the town, what does Matthew 5.14 tells us? What does Jesus say? A city set on a hill, what? It cannot be hid. So please tell me if the church, which, as I said, in some sense is true, not a building, how is the world, this ungodly, godless world, going to see God in us? I would love an explanation for that if you have one. If the universal church does not have a physical presence in Peterborough, in Etobicoke, in Oshawa, in, in, in any singular location that you can think of, 
If it doesn't have a physical present, how will it be seen? How will it make an impact on people? How will it evangelize? And we've used that, that, that excuse that I absolutely despise. And I, I, I praise God for technology. Let me qualify this before I say what I'm going to say. And it, it has and it serves its purpose. But we've used that excuse that, well, I've seen people join our services online that would have never joined otherwise. And the question I would love to pose to people like this is, how did they hear about Westmount Bible Chapel? Did somebody in Timbuktu say, I wonder if there's a church in Peterborough on Clancilla called Westmount Bible Chapel, and I wonder if they have an online service. I'm going to type that up, see what I find on Google, and I'm going to join and I'm going to get saved. The people that join our service, folks, are people that are connected so they know me or they know you or they know, even if they're joining from the, the, the farthest end of the world, from Antarctica, they know somebody in the church and that's why you see them online. It's not because technology in and of itself just sent a signal to that individual and say, join our service at 10.30 or 11.30 or whenever. How will the people be evangelized if there isn't a local assembly? How will it make an impact? How will it be able to assemble to edify the believers? How will we be edified if the church is not a building? And these are questions that I'll leave for you to answer. If the church, if the building is irrelevant or non-essential, here's another overused term. Here's a, there's a pointed question. If the building is not essential, if the church is not a building, why do we go through the headache? And those who are in the financial department of the church will be better able to answer this. Why are we going through the headache of paying mortgages? Property taxes, maintenance. Why are we wasting money on a building if the building is not important? Why are we wasting money on a building if the building is not essential? It just doesn't make sense. It's not proper logic in my estimate anyways. Why are we going through the heartaches of all these bills? Why don't we sell, put up a for sale sign, sell the building, get, gather all that money, and let the church not be a building? If the building is not important because it is not the ecclesia, who would be willing to obey this command by assembling in a central location? And again, this goes to each individual. If the building isn't important, I'm going to give a few extreme scenarios here. It's 40 degrees Celsius plus humidity. 
Building isn't important. Are we going to convene in a parking lot or a remote, dusty, open field in 40-plus degrees Celsius temperature? Would you do that? I wouldn't. That's brutally hot. But let's go to the next extreme, minus 40 degrees plus wind chill. Are you going to convene in some random location outdoors because the building isn't important? Or it's flood torrential rains out there, but the church isn't a building, so it's not important, so we don't have to worry about that. And these are just some of the the questions that come to mind when I hear these these terms and hear these arguments and hear these, these statements. And here is another big one, pointing back to Acts. Why would the early church have a central location to meet? Why would Paul establish local churches on his missionary journeys and then go back to make sure that these churches are doing spiritually well and checking in on them regularly? They did because the church Universal needs to have a visible, real, literal presence in their communities. Not only for the sake of being together on occasion, but also for to have an evangelical voice, both verbal and non-verbal, in their communities. That is why. That is why, folks. And then... Let me address another abnormality of the past 16 plus months. It is an understatement to say that it's been a trying almost two years now for ministry and for the life of the church. But with that being said, how we have been operating is far from normal, regardless of circumstances. It is far from normal, folks. To spur other believers forward in their Christian life, in their spiritual walk, followers of Christ must meet. We must meet. We have to meet. Some of the readers of Hebrews were neglecting to meet for worship. And this limited their ability to give and to receive encouragement to spur others on to love and to good works. Christian meet, or Christians who meet rather, with the aim of promoting godliness and love for one another can be remarkably successful in their ventures. Regular worship, regular fellowship with believers is an essential ingredient to the growth of the early church. It is essential. And one of the things you hear and I've heard is this is the new norm. This is the new norm. That's sickening. Ostracizing people, scorning people, keeping distance from people because the government says so, because health officials say so is the new norm. And Christians have adopted this as new norm. You know what is deadly, the the saddest thing about this statement? 
I'm going to take you back to the beginning. And recall with me, if you will, the entire creation act. Every day that God created, what was the, the, the prognosis? It was good. In all of God's creation, where he deemed everything he made good, the only time God negated good was in the context of loneliness. Where God looked at the animals and, and said, it's good that they have somebody. I'm, of course, implying the good there. But he looked at Adam and saw that Adam was a lonely human being. And the creator of this world looked at that and said, this isn't good. The God of the universe who created all things good looked at something in his creation and said, this isn't good. Loneliness, God said, is not good and it's not normal. And we as a church, I don't expect anything different from the world out there. John says, don't be surprised if the world hates us. Don't be surprised when the world acts like the world acts. And implied in that statement is we should be shocked and marveled and awe when we act like the world. God deemed loneliness bad, terrible, awful. And because government, big government, mainstream media, and so-called experts are saying it's the new norm, we fold and accept it as good. Regardless of circumstances, folks, loneliness is not good. I'm not saying that. God did. Go back and read Genesis, and you'll see it. God is saying it's not good. And this is a society we're creating for our kids. To run in scorn and shame of human beings. There was a warning that was linked to this command. Do not forsake the assembly. While we are commanded to provoke one another to love and to good works, which includes encouraging others to be a part of local gathering. There is also a responsibility on the part of everyone to obey this command. Every believer. And it takes a deliberate action. Note that these individuals were not absent because of illness. They weren't absent because of the circumstances dictated that they were absent. This was a deliberate attempt to keep away from the corporate worship of God's people. That is what the Greek word is implying. This was deliberate. So it's people who say, I can go, but I'm not going. And they use all sorts of excuses, just like we're seeing in today. Many may have been neglecting because they said, well, there's a persecution out there. So yeah, but the people that are gathering are susceptible to the persecution as well. But they're here. Some may say they feel disinterested or misinterested or they're not interested at all. Some may have doubted the necessity of the gathering together. And I assure you that this is becoming the prime reason why people aren't gathering today. Not because they doubt, but because they have no idea 
the significance of meeting together. Some may have thought, I don't need to go to an assembly. I can read, and I'm going to go back to the first century. I can read the manuscripts for myself. In our day, I can read the scripture for myself. I don't need pastor. I don't need other believers. And with this comes the, I do not need others as long as I have my God with me. As long as it's well with me and my God, I don't need other people. Some may say, I cannot bear being around certain individuals in church, so I'm going to stay at home. Now, some might say persecution is a particularly good reason to stay away, but it still doesn't justify. It's still not an excuse. Why is there such an importance placed on the together, the gathering together? Worship is the event in which we become radioactive for God. We become radioactive for God. When we are not in a collective worship with God's people, we have missed an exposure to God, and having missed it, we lost, we lose our radiance. So in other words, why is Christianity in North America and other parts of the world on the decline in certain parts? It's because we're not convening together. It's because we're not letting iron sharpen iron. It's because we're not letting others rub off on us. So we've lost that passion and that fervor to go to God in prayer because we don't see anybody else doing it. And the wishy-washy preaching that some of us are watching on TV isn't showing us how to do these things, isn't telling us how to do these things. And we're not paying attention anyways because we're too busy cooking and sipping our lattes and all of the above. So we're missing out on the proper um, edification with God's people. And as a result, we've lost. We've lost out. We have no passion to witness. And I was thinking even yesterday how challenging it's going to be when all of this, and I do strongly believe that this, will, this too shall pass, How challenging is it going to be to witness when all that has been driven into people's mind is fearing other human beings? You think an unsaved individual is going to allow you to walk up on their porch and say, oh, I'm here to share the word. Get off my porch. I, I don't want you to come near me. It's going to be extra. And how is technology going to help us out there? In an age of onlineism, how do we live out Acts 1 verse 8? We're not allowed, according to the, the, the powers that be, to leave our Jerusalem. How are we going to live out Acts 1 8? Technology can't help us there, folks. Don't let anyone fool you. Here's why we gather. 
And we already looked at the fact that it's, in one sense, it's to encourage, to exhort one another. But as we see here, this one reason why we meet for corporate worship, as in not neglecting, but to encourage one another, all the more as we see the day drawing near. The day is approaching. And in research, this day that is referred to is not so clear to authors. Some think it's persecution, some think it's return of Christ, some say it's the destruction of Jerusalem. But either of those, whether it's persecution that is coming, which it is, whether it's the coming of Christ, which clearly, undeniable it is, those things should spur us on to gather together. Why? Because there's going to come a time where we're not going to do this on earth, even though there's better to come, which I'll show you in the benediction. But there's the, that is the urgency, and that is what the early church had in mind. Jesus Christ should come at any time, so we are going to make every opportunity available to us to gather with his people to proclaim the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know we're just leaving everything to technology and, and well, time in time we will be able to do that, but not now. As if God put a conditional clause on when we ought to do witnessing and when we ought to, to convene together. There's no conditional clause on any of God's command. Let me just say that point blank. There's no conditional clauses on any of his commands. As we look to wrap up this, I'm going to share with you some information about the church in China, and most, if not all of us, are aware of what's going on there. Even illegal to download a Bible app. In fact, you can't access a Bible app because Jijing made sure that those are inaccessible to the Christians in China. But I am inclined to think, and you can disagree with me as you wish, that's, you're entitled to that. But I'm in, inclined to think of the church in China and other parts of the world where in-person gathering is illegal. And yet the church... Local church, not the universal church, even though it applies. The local assembly, in China, especially in China, is growing faster than wildfire. It is estimated, and I want you to listen to these statistics. It is estimated that there are as much Christians, if not more, in China alone compared to the West. Not North America, the West more Christians in China, that it's always, as far, as far as I'm concerned, been illegal. Christianity has always been illegal. And more and more, they're battening down, making sure they can't have access. People who are in prison in China say, when we have visitors, they bring scripture reference to us, and we memorize it as quickly as we possibly can, and then we eat the piece of paper, because if we're caught with it, that's all she wrote. And there are more Christians there than the entire Western Hemisphere. 
Why is it that the church, that their church is growing so rapidly amid the most severe persecution and that is on the rise on a daily basis? Could it be, could it be their love for meeting, assembling physically? Could it be, just like the early church, could it be that the the Christians, the believers in China saw in the early church what, how they want to live and say, we're going to actually emulate the early church. We're not going to pick and choose which parts of the early church we're going to showcase to the world that, oh, look at us. We're so spiritual. They said, we're going to go full in. All or nothing. Could it be that? And as I've said, I've seen videos. Could it be also that it is their desire for the word of God? As I mentioned in that illustration where they're memorizing scriptures as fast as they can. Because as soon as they do, they have to eat, literally eat what the scripture is written down on. I've seen videos where believers in China, for the first time, and you may have seen these videos, get a copy of the Word of God. And I tell you, not even, and I'm not exaggerating here, not even kids on Christmas morning is that excited. Not even kids. And remember, this is an illegal book. And I've seen videos where the excitement is beyond comparison. See, folks, the church in China, like the early church in Acts, sees the need to be around the brothers and sisters in Christ. Not virtually. Not via a phone call. Not saying, I'm with you in spirit. Like these are some of just the angering things that believers say that as leaders you just it just irks and you're like, man, God let me hold my tongue. I'm with you in spirit. Really? I dare you to call your boss and say, I'm not coming to work, but I'm there in spirit. <laughs> and it would be very fitting if the boss said, Well, your paycheck will be in spirit. <laughs> It is just so ridiculous and it's funny. But these are some of the the statements that we make to excuse why we don't want to come to church. And why it is justifiable that I sit around my computer screen and be very comfortable and content. The church in China wants to meet. The more... The, 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 the anvil or, or the, the, the restrictions are laid down by Xi Jinping and the, the Communist Party of China, the more they want to meet. Could it be that the persecuted church tends to have a deeper desire for things pertaining to God? Could it be that? So until we start to get persecuted severely, we won't have any desire until the government of Canada say, you guys, not only because of COVID, but period, can't meet. 
In fact, that book that you have, you can't use it. Is it that, is it then we're going to wake up and realize the importance of what we have now? What will it take for us? What will it take for believers to develop this kind of of passion and desire to be around the people of God without using silly, ridiculous excuses? In our current predicament, and we are growing wearier of the way we have been doing church ministry. Are we rather? Or are we getting more and more comfortable doing ministry and worship in this old-fashioned way or this new norm? Are we becoming content? What is it that is causing people that you might know, and you may have been there at one point, to neglect the local assembly? Is it to accept what the government is presenting to us? Is it using all sorts of excuses? The church is those who are saved, sanctified, and secured in Christ. So yes, you are right. The church is not a building in one sense. But the Catholic church or the universal church requires, necessitates a building so that we can come and edify each other. So that the community out there will see a people that is devoted and dedicated to their Lord, even if they hate it. See, that's the thing that we don't get. That people will scorn and say all sorts of things, but at the end of the day, folks, they'll respect us because we stand firm. We stand firm. They say, you know what? I don't like those Christian fanatics, but man, they're faithful. Isn't that something good for the world to say about us? They hate us, but we need our local assemblies. We need to convene together. The author of Scripture who was inspired by the Holy Spirit would not have put this verse in the Scripture if it wasn't important. It's an absolute essential for the church. And I'll close with this prime example You're meeting online, and you have had a rough week. And Pastor Jason comes online and says, How are you, John? Are you going to just blurt out every single detail of the horrific week you've had online that is being recorded and for the entire world probably to see? No, you're not. So you're going to do the superficial, oh, all is well. And this is a trivial example, but to show you the significance, somebody is, you're face to face and somebody says, how are you? You can take that person aside and say, you know what? It's been rough. And here is what it is. And that's, like I said, is just a trivial example of how important it is for us to gather in person. There's a different feeling altogether when you are looking in people's faces. When you're seeing people in person, it gives a different feel 
Just being in the presence of God's people alone is edifying and encouraging, folks. And I can attest to that myself personally. Just being among God's people. They don't have to do anything. Just the fact that you walk through the doors. Burdens of the weak lifts. And you forget all the cares and the concern because you're among God's people, unifying together in one voice, praising and adoring God. Let us assemble ourselves together. Father, may you help us. May you encourage us. May we see the need and the desire to be among your people And may we have the desire to provoke, to stimulate, to stir others to want to be among your people. Strengthen and encourage us, Lord, and help us to see the importance of us convening together for your glory and for our edification. For Christ's sake, amen.